FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode something something of the podcast that goes next. <laughs> We're recovering from a uh, snowmageddon, so my uh, episode order is a little up in the air, but at some point you're hearing this, and that's great. Um, I'm your host, Jason Money Shots in the Rain Venable, and I'm joined uh, by two new guests from the great show Homo Superior. We have Kaylin, Stuck My Tail in My Mouth, Batia. And Clark, not all mutants are drop drop dead gorgeous whitehead. Hey guys, how rude! Hey. <laughs> Listen no, to a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how are you guys doing? Uh, we're we're good. We're good. So thanks yeah. so much for having us on your show. We're yes. glad uh, we're glad to be able to do it. Yeah, very much. Um, so I first kind of knew about Homo Superior when you guys reached out. We kind of started doing our group chat stuff, and then of course did crossing swords and have since fallen in love with the show so um why don't you guys give everyone just kind of a brief introduction of where they can find you guys and all that and sure uh well we love your show too so uh thanks. again jason thanks so much um but yeah uh uh along with um the podcast that goes snicked and um house of x uh uh, uh, X Reads podcast and comic book queers. We got together by doing a uh, crossover for Ten of Swords called Crossing Swords. But as far as Homo Superior, Clark and I are joined by three other guys. We're all based in the DC area. We're all we're all gay men. Uh, so we provide our uh, very very dumb opinions about the X Men, uh, other comic books, other nerdy things through the queer perspective. Um, uh, but we, our first love is definitely the X-Men. Um, and so that's how we started the podcast, uh, almost four years ago to the day. So Clark, awesome. did I leave any, did I leave anything off? Um, I would say don't listen to it at work with your, um, earphones out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 we're, I mean, it's number one, it's very political because, you know, DC boys, but it's mm -hmm. also, it gets a bit smutty all the time. <laughs> Well, see, y'all tried to blame that on Dylan when he was on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We corrupted Dylan, for sure. <laughs> yeah, even without him, it still does that. But yeah, awesome. Well, definitely, guys, um, if you haven't already gone and listened to Homo Superior, uh, stop what you're doing, go listen, come back, listen to this. Um, so we're going to talk about the anniversary that celebrates 30 years of X-Men, which is Uncanny 300, in a flashback episode. Um, and man, this is a, a hefty issue on the uh, plot. So we'll get to that in just a second. But um, we're talking about the uh, the holographic cover. So 1993, all the rage was foil and holograms and lenticular or whatever. And um, so on this cover by John Romita Jr. and Dan Green, we have um, the X-Men and then surrounded by these uh, holographic floating X's. So what do y'all think of this cover? Well, I bought the issue when it came out. I was I was mm -hmm. a wee lad. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, the crazier the cover, I loved it. It's like, give me the holographic stuff. Give me the foil. <laughs> give me the die cut. Like, I'm like, I just thought all that stuff was so special. Um, and when I saw it, I, I mean, I'd been an X-Men fan for a few years by that point. I saw it. I was like, oh, what a great cover. Um, the irony of it was, is back then I was like, ugh. John Romita Jr.'s art, like what the <laughs> hell? 
I didn't like it. I was like, <laughs> give me, give me the jo- Jim Lee's and the Rob Layfields and the Will Portacios and all, uh, you know, all those like, you know, extreme artists of the early nineties. Right. And then mm-hmm. I, I was, I was like, you a few years later, I was like, you dumb kid. Like JR, JR <laughs> is like one of the, one of the best artists like of our time. I'm glad he's still doing, uh, you know, quite a bit of work, but, um, yeah, the cover like is very, very arresting. Yeah, for sure. Some of my favorite colors. I love a lenticular cover. About three years ago, Marvel decided to like redo, like put a lot more out. So I grabbed mm-hmm. maybe five or six. I remember that Iceman series that oh, yeah. hated, even though it was gay. Um, <laughs> they had one and I grabbed it because it was great. But I don't know. I, I love something unnecessarily shiny. Oh, God. That's right. Sounds- <laughs> so you're the magpie of the group <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you don't doubt it <laughs> awesome well uh obviously on the cover we have cyclops storm Jean gray back in the background um bishop with um john Romita jr super afro mullet and then uh wolverine in front and this is the podcast of ghost nick so uh before we get into the content uh, i do want to give you guys a chance to kind of Talk about how y'all first met Wolverine, maybe your origin story, so to speak, and then what you think of him overall. So I'll, I can, I can jump in. My first exposure to Wolverine wasn't a comic book or the cartoon or the X-Men movies. It was an action figure. Okay. Uh, and my parents, when I was very, very young, uh, bought me, if you remember Secret Wars. Yeah. Like, you know, the crossover, they had the action figures where they all had the shields that showed uh-huh. who they really wore. It's like, their secret. <laughs> and so they got me Wolverine and I was like, who the hell is this? Like, why can't I get Spider-Man or Captain America or, you know, one of the characters I know, right. but he had claws and he looked really cool. He kind of looked like Batman, you know, with the pointy ears and everything. And so that was my first exposure to him. And then uh, I got my very first com- X-Men comic, which was number 199. Uh, okay. that had Rachel Gray on the cover and like Wolverine's in there. And I was like, Oh, I really like like how kind of, he's like, he's kind of sassy. He's a little bit like, you know, kind of a rebel <laughs> and like clearly like early on, like, you know, I love Wolverine. Um, now I feel like the character is a little overexposed. Right. And when Marvel made the decision to like kill him off for, you know, between like 2014 and 2018 or whatever the years were, I was like, okay, let's give him a rest. And then when they, when, when Laura became Wolverine, especially in the Tom Taylor uh, oh, series, yeah. all new, all new Wolverine, I was like, "This is my Wolverine now!" <laughs> like, I freaking love her. I love the idea of legacies in Marvel. Uh, I love that, like, she's like her own character. She's a badass, but she's got like uh, a heart of gold. She's fantastic. Obviously, they brought Logan back. Uh, the current series, I think, is fine. Benjamin Percy does a nice job. Adam Kubert is. A phenomenal artist he's been drawing wolverine since the dawn of time <laughs> right uh, but um you know i he's he's not my favorite character i like him in the context of the x-men but his solo adventures are like kind of like oh okay fine right that's fair what about you clark um so when you said wolverine origin story i asked kaylin i was like what does this mean and, and I thought, am i supposed to make up a history of myself <laughs> Okay, let's do that. I like that. Born in Nebraska in like 1945 and blah, blah, blah. Clark, you do have an adamantium skeleton, so we can talk about that. Uh, So I had to ask him and get it right. Um, My first thing was actually, I mean, the cartoon had already come out and I hadn't really noticed it yet. Um, It was the Children of the Atom video game. Oh, okay. Even though I played as Colossus. Sorry. (sighs) 
<laughs> Sorry, everyone else. Um, and then I got into the TV show and then my friend Justin had all the comics. So uh, any sleepover we had was literally just me ignoring him and reading every comic possible. <laughs> that I had. So that was my nice. first exposure. Um, I really liked Wolverine up until, you know, the 90s started. And then right. it was basically like the thought of like, he's so badass that who cares if he's oversaturated? Who cares if like, He's poorly written by a lot of um, people. <laughs> it just, he became like ubiquitous to the point where he didn't matter. It was his characteristics that mattered. Right. Which became frustrating. Um, and then I liked him for a little while up until the, through the 2000s, like Enemy of the State and everything. Mm-hmm. And then Gerard Way got a hold of him and he became the worst character ever created <laughs> with his terrible Wolverine origins where he was like a lupine creature. And I love, 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 love. Like, this is... I, I hate everything about this. <laughs> Bendis right. wrote him annoyingly as hell. Like when he was randomly, he slept with 18 year old squirrel girl and you're like, Oh, you're, you're a yeah. hundred some years older than her. Anyways. I was very glad when they killed him. And then Bruce, I love him now. They brought him back. And I think he's not just himself. I think he's like a full person and how he relates to everybody else. I think is very right. strong. So I'm very happy with, <laughs> who he's become sorry that was a very negative until i got to the roundabout yeah, hey, that's okay uh, yeah <laughs> lots of different opinions and i think when you have a character that was so and we're right in the middle of that right now in 1993 in our episodes it's just all over the place he's you know he's a nomad for crying out loud you know he's <laughs> you know everywhere and i think it definitely it does reach a point to where he's his own stereotype to a degree and kind of like you said his characteristics being more than his character it's kind of right on point so definitely get that so um yeah uncanny x-men 300 30 years of x-men from 63 to 93 and uh, sorry i forgot it was daniel way who's gerard way anyways keep going oh gerard, Ger- gerard way That's gerard a, way is the lead singer of my kind of romance yes created the umbrella, umbrella academy, academy. Uh, right and young animal on uh, for dc comics i was gonna say there something dark, but i was like i was like oh, let's just keep going anyway sorry folks <laughs> that's funny <laughs> All right, so this issue is, we'll get the credits here and just, where are they? This Legacies, written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by John Armina Jr., inks by Dan Green, uh, letters by Chris Eliophilus, colors by Stu Becciolato, and we talked about the cover, so we're going to do our best to do our typical snazzy synopsis, but it's, hang on to your seats, it's, there's a lot going on here. All right, here we go. At Xavier's request, Nightcrawler teleports to specific coordinates on the the coast of France where Forge dumps an enhanced portable Cerebro on him before skadooshing off with a lecture on realism. Meanwhile, inland, the X-Men gold team plus Wolverine search out a destroyed property of Moira as Wolverine determines Moira's body is not amongst the wreckage. The townsfolks don't want mutants around, so Xavier makes them disappear or makes them believe they are leaving. Wolverine objects, but not for the right reason, that the mental manipulation was a waste of time since they were actually leaving. Um, Meanwhile, the acolytes have Moira and are probing her memories, though half of them just want to kill her for betraying Magneto uh, by mucking around with his genes. Uh, The X-Men reunite with Nightcrawler. Uh, on the coast, hoping to find the Acolyte base. 
uh, back at the monastery where the acolytes are staying. Moira reveals the uh, servant, Ken, mascot <laughs> of the acolytes that uh, Cortez really killed Magnino and sacrificed his teammates. But um, the boy defiantly phases through the floor. While discussing Bishop's impact on Xavier, he and Archangel find the acolyte base via aerial reconnaissance. Cortez and his bodyguards to find Neophyte after learning the truth, but the X-Men find him too. The X-Men mop up and storm the chapel. Great fight pages as Cortez runs away. Jean rescues Moira, and Amelia Voigt escapes with a badass-looking Magneto helmet. Bishop finds Cortez, but Cortez overloads him with power. Wolverine snicks Cortez uh, before having his second post-fight cigarette of the issue. Uh, Neophyte says maybe to joining Xavier before disappearing into the rain. Epilogue. Games Master teases that Magneto isn't really dead, and Xavier and Mora identify the legacy virus and that there is no treatment. <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot. Yes. <clears throat> so... What are some things that you liked, disliked? Um, what are some so, of your overall thoughts? Well, it, it was kind of, I love going, rereading this issue just for the nostalgia because it reminded me of being a kid again uh -huh. in a lot of ways. I will say, um, you know, uh, I guess almost a year ago, Clark will remember this. We uh, on Homo Superior did a, like a mutant madness bracket because um, comics yeah. weren't coming out for a few months. <laughs> um, and like, you know, we were trying to like, you know, basically like, you know, uh, do head to heads of like which X-Men team is the best. And we had the blue team and the gold team. And like, I was always more of a fan of the blue team, mm -hmm. even the comic. I like the comic more. Cause like, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of Scott Lobdell at all, but this issue is really well done in a lot of ways. Like even like the context of it being, almost 30 years old. Right. Um, uh, obviously we talked about the art, JRJR is, is great. And like, uh, I just remembered, he also drew X-Men number 200, uh, The Trial of Magneto. Yeah. So, so like, it's a nice bit of, like a little <laughs> bit of continuity between that. And I like that, like it is, while well, the gold team is featured and Bishop being like the new kid on the block, um, you did have Cyclops and Wolverine and, and then Nightcrawler from Excalibur and so they're almost trying to recreate the all new, all different team because it was the 30th anniversary of the X-Men at the time. So um, I, I thought that was kind of neat. And the Acolytes are like, they're really cool villains. Um, mm -hmm. Like Clark and I were talking a little bit off podcast about the whole idea of them being a cult and like having cult-like, you know, tendency. Like you clearly have Fabian Cortez who is, um, you know, uh, somebody who's in it for his own reasons. And like, he's, he's basically fleecing the rest of the rest of the <laughs> acolytes who are true believers. Like, right. He's got like, you know, he's doing this stuff with the upstarts and like trying to like, you know, gain, uh, gain, um, you know, like leadership of, of that group. Um, but I like that this was um, kind of like a, almost like a, a sandwich, it was sandwiched between two major events, Executioner Song, which created the legacy virus or legacy mm -hmm. viruses that happened at the end of it. And then Fatal Attractions, which was the true return of, of Magneto, uh, where he like rips out, rips out the adamantium from <laughs> Wolverine's skeleton um, and then gets lobotomized as, as a result by Charles Xavier. And that's where like Colossus becomes an acolyte for a hot minute. But um, overall, I thought this issue, like the scripting is in by modern terms is very 
very archaic, but um, it is still a very enjoyable issue, uh, if not for the art, if not for the characters, uh, as well as like where the, where the comic leads us to. Right. Um, so I agree on Caitlin's thoughts there. I don't want to re really want to get into that as much as the actual plot. Um, I found it really interesting in terms of, as he said, the just cult aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And Neophyte has always been a character that really interested me. And I didn't really know why until rereading this. And just the fact that he's both desperate to get out of this cult, but quasi mentally unable to because, you know, they rescued him from despair and who knows, suicide, who knows what was going to happen with him. But um, and then basically at the end, he basically in a roundabout way is saying, x-men are kind of a cult in their own respect and xavier's belief <laughs> might not be for him either um right. and it's i also reread uh, um x-men 315 because that's his uh the trial of neophyte and just seeing him have you <clears throat> he, he kind of drags himself back because it's the only thing he knows is his cold the only thing that ever right. helped him which is depressing and then they you know shoot him out like they don't kill him but they send him away <laughs> and i decided to look at the last thing he was in was a um a series with quicksilver and he had literally didn't know where to go so he went to magneto's birthplace which huh. so god so horribly, <laughs> horribly depressing and still wasn't able to bring himself right. to join Xavier's cause and i'm like it's so i mean this is the cult mindset to the nth degree like try, yeah. wanting to escape but being unable to or you know physically or mentally unable to and not getting even though xavier like wanted to you know maybe you should join it was like they're not actually giving them any sort of help which at some point <laughs> i know oh god i'm going into just other stories but anyways there was some yeah. point where after avalon falls um, scanner just screams at the x-men because they gave them no help because she's you know she was on the fence as well and it's just i don't know it's very interesting to as i said just dealing with possible dual cults because obviously <laughs> these two figures are the figures at the time of it's i mean apocalypse as well but mm -hmm. uh mutantum caleb yeah. um kind of related to what you said about like you know the accusation of x-men becoming turning in more of a cult I was uh, reminded of the um, panel, like it's a splash page of like Archangel carrying Bishop. I think it's like <laughs> on page page 21. Yeah. Um, and he has this conversation midair, mind you, uh, of, <laughs> of, uh, of like, you know, that he sees the professor becoming, Archangel saying this, the professor is becoming much more proactive and more militant. And like Thunderbird couldn't make him do it even though Thunderbird died after like two issues. You know, Wolverine couldn't do it. Um, uh, Cable couldn't do it. But Bishop has done it because the professor realizes that, like, Bishop is from a future. And um, is that Wolverine in the background, Jason? Yes. Um, okay. All right. Uh, but, uh, but uh, um, you know, Bishop being from a future that, like, the professor has to realize that, uh, like, this may be a way that he's got to go down. The interesting thing uh, I uh, was wondering, I was trying to remember, when did they all figure out that Cable was actually from the future? Because it must have been after this storyline. Yes. I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember when. I don't remember exactly, but it was sometime after his solo series becomes regular. I mean, at this point, his miniseries has been out. Oh, my gosh. But after his regular series becomes ongoing, it's sometime in that period. Because that's when they start actually doing more of the stories like 
with him in the apocalyptic future uh, with his son and all that stuff. So um, at some point they reveal that back to the present characters, or I think fairly early in that run, but I don't remember exactly when. Got it. So yeah. yeah and back to Clark, what you were saying about neophyte. Um, I think it's interesting because they definitely play up the cultish and kind of being trapped in that. They also were, are fairly complex with them because he's able to separate to some degree, at least in this issue, belonging to the cult and his belief in the leader because he never wavers in like believing in Magneto when he gets, he does get disenfranchised with the acolytes themselves or at least Cortez as kind of a false messiah. So there's an interesting like way of dealing with that in the analogy of religion of, of people who, who sometimes struggle with faith and find new ways to identify their faith, but don't quite change, if that makes sense. Like they progress through it and maybe get disenfranchised with religion, but still embrace their spiritualities. I don't know. Just kind of an interesting kind of parallel to some of that. I do love the moment where he's, you know, sneakily feeds Moira because <laughs> if you've seen any cult movie or television show ever, there's always some like quasi bleeding heart cult member right. that has to sneak the food to whoever has been captured. It happens every <laughs> time. You know? like, this is early days where I'm pretty sure it wasn't like, you know, rote, but it, it's still a thing that definitely is happening. I thought it was funny. Yeah, that is definitely pretty funny. Um, what do y'all think of uh, Ramita's 90s Nightcrawler? Uh, mullets, mullets, mullets <laughs> for days. Um, I mean, Nightcrawler is actually one of my favorite uh, X characters of mm -hmm. all time. Um, yeah. And Alan Davis still draws my favorite Nightcrawler, but Ramita's is pretty good. Like, I can't, I'm not mad at it. Um, yeah. Like, he does a good job of, like, kind of, like, playing up, like, Kurt's, like, you know, sort of, sort of intensity and, like, handsomeness. Like, I think Kurt is a very, like, you know, good-looking guy. Right. Uh, good-looking, like, ex-character. Um, I, I think it, I think it looks great. And mullets are kind of back in, for, like, you know, <laughs> as the kids, as the kids tell me these days. Right. Right. <laughs> I was happy with him back, but I was like, why, why are you back? He's invited to hang out, but like, right. it doesn't really do too much in the rest of the issue as much as, well, I, most of the X-Men don't really too much, do too much in the rest of the issue. They really <laughs> don't. I just think it's like, they're, they're just in Europe. That's why it's like, oh, you know, right. let's, like Kurtz with Excalibur, <laughs> bring him along. <laughs> Yeah, I really think, uh, Kenny, when you nailed it earlier, it's kind of a nostalgia grab, right? It's a 30-year anniversary. Let's pull in a couple of extra beloved characters that we don't always see in Uncanny anymore. And, yeah. and It's so weird to think about like that Kurt wasn't on the X-Men for, like, forever. 14 or 15 <laughs> years. Like, it's or, – or, like, Kitty, for that matter, too. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, like, we, like, take it for granted now, but, like, I mean, when I started reading, like – x-men fairly regularly like excalibur had been going on for a little while and like that was like that was kurt's team you know along with rachel and, and kitty and um like like ever since like i guess claremont came back the first time in like 2000 he brought them back to to like the the actual x-men team right well it's funny because i wasn't you know teenagers can be dumb sometimes i didn't get Excalibur and what it was trying to do when I was a kid so I didn't read it so I really didn't discover Nightcrawler until I started getting X-Men back issues um, and that's really when I started because like you he's he's my second favorite X-Men so um, you know 
that journey, my journey with him has been pretty fantastic. But growing up, I don't know if I really could have told you who Nightcrawler was until I started getting money to go to the comic shop and dig through the boxes, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was I was very excited to see him this time, though. Um, and, man, I'll tell you what, there's some there's some dry spells, but overall, Excalibur is really fun. And I definitely wish I would have read it when I was a kid. But, um, you know, you live, you learn, right? There you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I did much my, Nightcrawler wasn't even in the the TV show more than what three episodes. Right. Yeah. Which I like the episodes a lot, but it just it was not that important. Kalen, what's your finger? Oh, I was gonna say he wasn't in the main in the '90s show, but he was in Pride of the X Men, the pilot that <laughs> yes. never got a full series, and that was my which, first exposure to Nightcrawler. Because, uh, which, like, which, which is what that video game I was talking about was based on. Oh, Dazzler, because Dazzler was in the cartoon, um, and I, I can't remember if Rogue was too. It was almost like a a mix of like the all new, all different team with like the Outback team, uh, <laughs> but like um, it was like the like it was called Pride of the X Men. Obviously, Kitty, like they're bringing her in, um, you know, and like she gets like really freaked out by Nightcrawler, just like she is during the Dark Phoenix saga when right. she's introduced in the comics. So. Um, Sorry, that just that just when you said cartoon and Nightcrawler, I was like, I like that was my first exposure to to, to, to him. It was Colossus, Cyclops, Iceman, Psylocke, Storm, Wolverine. Wow, Psylocke was in it? No shit, yeah. or in the game? The yeah, game or in Pride of in the oh. game? Oh, okay, not in Pride of Pride of For okay. some reason, Psylocke was very cool. Um, trying to think. So, uh, an allusion to our our titles, I. I actually really love the way John Romita draws rain, but um, it looks a little dirty when he when it lands on people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I didn't like about it when I was a kid. I was like, oh, it, just looks, it looks it looks a little a grimy, uh, a little dirty. <laughs> so, once again, I I messed up as as I do. I conflated the two video games. I was just thinking of literally the 1992 video game X Men, which has Cyclops, Colossus, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Dazzler. So, okay. with everybody, <laughs> do not send any no prizes in. Right, right. We finally got it right partway through the podcast. That's funny. Yeah, just uh, there here's. It's interesting that Xavier's '90s look in the comics is like the uh, the smooth head with the five o'clock shadow on the face. It's always a a fun look. And so, is this the uh, is this the first time that we figure out Amelia Voigt is uh, has a past connection to Xavier? Yeah, this is literally the first time we have ever seen her in our lives. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, so definitely, I love the fact that he has both Moira and Amelia in this issue. And I'm like, you're just going to be jumping from one. <laughs> to Another one that kind of helped you out as a youngster. Right. Quasi nursing so, back to health in a way. So um, was it like, did y'all, obviously we read, we reread this issue in the last few days, but like, were y'all trying to like read it through like a modern context? It's like, no, Moira is a mutant. Uh, Fabian mm-hmm. is back as is frenzy, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, and like Nightcrawler is going to be starting a new religion on Krakoa as we'll, <laughs> we'll find out in about a month. Right. Um, so it was, it was really fascinating kind of reading it like through that context. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting because there's that part, you know, where they're trying to get her memories 
and they put it all up on the screen. And at one point, and now I'm trying, I'm trying to find the page. I don't remember if it's Bishop or whoever, but they wreck Earth's Colossus, like wrecks the computer and all the stuff. And they're like, oh, we lost all the memories. I was like, well, man, think what they really lost. So they had like our current memories, right? Like, it's just really interesting. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to kill my dog just a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find the page right now where um, there was one page where they're on a like a park bench. And I kept thinking back to the park. Yes. Bench. Even in, though it's in, in different because he, he yeah, exactly. He yeah. was already in his in his um, whatchamacallit, God is lost, like wheelchair number. So it wasn't the exact same time period, but it, the the visual was so on point for what they did with Hox and Pox. Yeah, yeah. And to be clear to all the listeners, I'm not going to actually kill my dog. I love him a lot. <laughs> Just <laughs> get some nerves sometimes. <laughs> I I sent mine away for this podcast. I was like, "You're going downstairs." Right. Well, normally I'll go in my room, but. And my, my podcast room and, and shut the door, but Denise had a, a work thing come up, so I'm kind of straddling the incondesmeters here or whatever that means. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I was gonna say so. There's a several like new acolytes in this issue, of course, because Fabian killed all the other ones. Um, yep. was, there, was there anyone that was your favorite? I mean, I've already mentioned Neophyte, which I find interesting, but he's not, he barely shows up since then. Um, the other one, which they've used a lot besides Miliavot, is uh, Sinyaka. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who is just, I mean, he gets killed constantly. Like, there's the <laughs> one back up again. He's like, now he's dead. Wolverine kills him sometime between 300 and 315, but he still shows up another five times, including the time where he was in um, Necrotia. But he's aggressive and weird, right. and his art just the style of art for him, you know, costume and everything is cool and interesting. Sonyaka is the one yeah. with the whip, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, it, you know, because I, I reread Uncanny 300, I started reading around this era too, like reread Fatal Attractions and all that. With, and the first chapter of Fatal Attractions was uh, an issue of X Factor. It was right after Peter David left. Lovedell was plotting, GM Dematis, Dematis is scripting, and Joe Casada, uh, like DJ Joe Casada was illustrating it, and like there's a, uh, like a panel or a couple panels where Sanyaka like, like, like basically like, like screw like just like messes up this woman, this human, and like she's got these like, uh, like abrasions all over her face and neck, and I was like, this is horrifying. <laughs> like I bought this as a kid and read it, like. <laughs> And as an adult, I am utterly horrified. Like, what was I thinking, like, way back when? Uh, but, yeah, Sinyaka is a cool visual. And he's almost, like, um, I almost like, thought of him as, like, like to use, like, a Star Wars analogy, he's, like, one of, like, the red guards that the Emperor has. Like, huh? But, like, you know, he's, like, one of, like, Fabian, uh, Fabian Cortez's, like, you know, like, his, like, own, like, little, like, Praetorian guard. He's not, like, a regular <laughs> ag- acolyte. So, like, he thinks he's pretty special. And I, I hate him and like him for that reason. Nice. But those those are the three. Well, I guess Cortez included. Not that he's introduced here. But the Emilio right. Cortez, Neophyte, and Sinyak are kind of the ones that have had that introduced in this issue. Not really Cortez, but um, that have had any real effect. Staying on, power, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, who cares about, like, Milan and Javits and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They've done a few things, but 
not to the point that I'm interested in. Well, support. Yeah, never mind. I forgot spores in it as well, and he had some interesting stuff with later issues of Excalibur. And mm-hmm. Exodus was introduced a little bit later on, right? I yeah. think like yeah, in Fatal yeah. Attractions, like a few mm-hmm. issues later. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when they're all going to the cave, we have Iceman, and, I'm sorry, Cyclops and Colossus on Iceman's uh, ice sled. And Wolverine's just kind of flying by Storm's power. <laughs> Is that something that they did a lot? Can Storm just kind of fly people around? Uh, sure. <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, she can make some updrafts for everybody. Right. Yeah. It seems like Wolverine would be a little heavy for that. You know, the adamantium skeleton and all. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Very, very true. A lot of updraft then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, was this the first time that we saw Bobby get all like, you know, imaged, like extremed out when he like does the rocky body? Um, I think it's the second time um yeah and he references the uh who did he say uh oh mikhail colossus's brother and helped him tap into his his uh, not really a secondary mutation at this point but just an expansion of his powers um he looks uh he's definitely pretty rocky (laughs) he's rocky and, and buff Iceman yes. has never been capable of learning anything for himself. He needs some quasi villainous mutant to be like, right. oh, no, help you out, Emma Frost jumping <laughs> in there too. Right. So, was there a, did y'all have a favorite? Because there's a big section of the middle where it's pretty much just fighting. Did y'all have a favorite matchup? Oh, gosh. I can't even think right now. Yeah. I think it was my favorite matchup because it's horribly depressing. But my favorite matchup is when those three uh, members of the Acolytes just murder that lady who's (laughs) trying to help out a neophyte. It's (laughs) awful, and but it's very like seared into my memory after rereading it. It's terrible. Um, Yeah, mine's not as um, like haunting or ghastly, (laughs) but it's um, it's it is Senyaka versus Wolverine, and you see the panel of like. Wolverine just like slicing like Sinyaka's whip and mm-hmm. that is just such a cool like it's just a really well done image and like 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 Romita may be probably maybe the best Wolverine artist you know um Clark referenced Enemy of the State early on which was a mm-hmm. which was actually a pretty good storyline and JRJR yeah. drew that um both Enemy of the State and like Wolverine I think Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. which is the follow-up uh to it so um like his like it's it's an it's an iconic Wolverine as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, definitely. definitely. We didn't see it here, but obviously because she wasn't here. But um, I'd really like to see a neophyte Shadow Cat either battle or just kind of interaction because oh, their powers okay. are exactly the same. They just use it differently. His is right. literally just swimming from one side of something to the other like the fact that he just jumps into the rain and becomes the rain basically in order to get to the ground <laughs> is not really that but you know in weird mm-hmm. essence it's very interesting and she literally just you know will swim through an entire wall or object i don't know i yeah. want to see that that would be pretty cool really cool yeah i uh i think probably iceman frenzy was was up there for me um I also, speaking of Neophyte, I really like the way they use Cortez's powers in this one, where he makes Neophyte like blow out the wall and then 
Neo Maloney Bishop's interesting too, but really that first time with Neo fight, you really get the sense that like, okay, his power is still like the 30th degree and he can't control it. And it's really, it really makes Cortez at this point more interesting than I think maybe he will be later. But at this point, he's still new enough and interesting enough that he makes a pretty, pretty great bad guy. Um, he does. He's the only... Oh, go ahead, Clark. No, you're fine. Bringing it to the present for a little bit. I am very pleased that we're going to be digging into um, Fabian Cortez in Sword. He's yeah. in a strange way one of my not favorite characters, but characters that I've wanted to see properly developed over yeah. the years. That makes has sense. Never really properly been developed. Period. Kaylin, you had something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. It was sort of related to what you said, but it was more about like, like I, I think I blocked out a lot of the upstart stuff. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really care for it. Like, like Shinobi Shaw and Fitzroy and all them. Like, I was like, they all sucked. Um, but, um, but like, I liked the, I liked the way the game master uh, was sort of like, you know, had his interactions with 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 Cortez and this issue, and like, um, going back to the conversations about like cults, like every cult leader is usually somebody who is like a con man, you mm-hmm. know, trying to basically right. fleece his followers. And like that just fits in so well that he's got his own agenda. He's he's doing his own thing, so that made the whole upstart part of it like worth it. And um, I don't remember how the upstart like um, like saga, for lack of a better term, ended. I don't either. Could, I don't think I don't think it was good. Otherwise, we'd all remember it. Um, right. Like, like we've flailed out. Either way, flailed. Yeah. Too. One of those ninety like, stories that just fizzled. It was all 90s stuff that just like, you know, like, like they just went nowhere, you know, like, uh, I mean, hell, like, like both like Fabian Nicieza and Will and Brett Booth are doing like the whole thing about like the third Summers brother and uh-huh. like X-Men Legends. It's like, <laughs> we're dealing with the 30 year old storyline, which got resolved like 15 years ago in Deadly Genesis. And like, I'm like, like, what is happening? But um, right. yeah, there was but not that, my like, resolution, Fabian yeah. says, yeah. We never fully found out like the whole upstarts deal. At some point, I think at one point they're like, maybe he's just like a child that, you know, has somehow aged up on his, it was lots of strange thought processes were involved in it. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to think if there's any, any other high points. Um, oh, I did. Did y'all catch some with Cyclops? kind of shows up out of nowhere um, and, <laughs> but then when he when they storm the fort uh Vermita does a really cool thing that i didn't catch the first time but the second time where you can see where the optic blast starts and then he moves his head and it like spin you can see like the trail of it it's a pretty cool effect um it's uh and the physical copy is page 40 and 41 it's a double page spread and the bottom panel of Cyclops kind of turning his head, and like the blade, the beam starts over here, and then yes. goes through his visor, and then continues on. It's a pretty neat visual trick, and one yeah. of those things you can only do in comics. I did like <laughs> he wasn't there for the longest time, and then he showed up, and then he was suddenly flying the plane, and I was like, oh, right. all right, I guess, there we go. I was like, I, I guess he showed up. It's like <laughs> right. it's before the before the Krakow and Gates, but they got you know he found a way to get there. Yep. Um, I do. There's one thing I think we'd be remiss, especially the two of us as gay men, to not bring up is the like the naming of the legacy virus at this point. 
and just yeah. watch, like looking at, at Colossus and um, Ileana, like him hugging her on the computer screens. And it's just mm-hmm. look like coming from nowadays, just looking at it, like kind of balking and vomiting at just the thought of what's going to happen and what, you know, this is a metaphor for. Because right. at the time, I don't think anyone is reading it. And it's like, oh, yeah, immediately. This is HIV. Woman acting, you want that? But that's what maybe, but I don't know. The no, they, I mean, I, it's like maybe, maybe it's the Mandela effect in my head, but I think I definitely remember it being like, this is an allegory for HIV because, right. like, I had, I had read enough and, like, I, you know, was definitely like, you know, a queer kid, but like didn't come out till, you know, my late teens, early 20s. Um, and uh, I, um, I def, but I definitely knew that this was sort of a stand in because. I had read some of like Peter David's X Factor and he was leaning hard into, mm-hmm. into, into this. And, you know, this was like sort of the struggle that I think um, like editorial had with the creatives. And it's like uh, they wanted to push the whole thing of like X-Men being this edgy, you know, uh, cut, cutting edge, like, you know, tale of, of being uh, either an ethnic minority, being a cultural minority, um, uh, uh, or an immigrant, uh, and then like your editorial being like, we got action figures, we got a cartoon, we got like all this <laughs> stuff. We're a commodity. Marvel was going through its own like you know bankruptcy stuff like mm-hmm. right around then. Yeah. And so uh, and like Ike Perlmutter, who is a you know a piece of shit, uh, like took over the company and he's incredibly conservative and like like definitely didn't want to do that. So some of the storylines lean into it a little bit, and, and then they kind of backed away from it. Um, which is kind of sad, uh, but you know, they, I'm glad that they had the storyline. I think um, you know, a couple of issues. It's like the death of Eliana. It is absolutely mm-hmm. affecting, um, and it's really, really hard to reread. But it's it's very tender and very sweet. Um, At this point, uh, I was in sixth grade, so that's why I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I, I'm a little older than Clark, so like, I think I think by that point, like, I I kind of figured it out. But um, I do want to talk a little bit about the epilogue, which was drama Brendan Peterson mm-hmm. and where they have like, you know, kind of Moira and, and Charles like having a whole discussion about legacy virus about like how there is no cure yet. And like anybody who contracts it, it is a death sentence. And in like, you know, in an early nineties uh, reference, that was true. If you contracted HIV right. and ended up getting AIDS, mm-hmm. it was certainly a death, death sentence. And then now, like, you know, in the age of COVID, it is absolutely like horrifying, like kind of reading this, this stuff. Um, right. So yeah, and I think, you know, with the allegory, obviously, there's a lot of um, misunderstanding or or misleading about HIV, you know, affecting certain communities only, and the legacy virus definitely only impacting mutants. I think there's very, very strong parallels that were, like you said, Caitlin, probably very, very intentional until they were told not to be, <laughs> and then, you know, kind of had to make it a little more generic, which is unfortunate, but it's definitely... A very strong start because, I mean, I think while Ileana was absent for a very long time after she de-aged, right? She kind of mm-hmm. went through Inferno. She had the, her story afterwards de-aged and kind of disappeared um, until the issues are covered a couple episodes ago where Colossus goes and gets her. But she's still pretty beloved, I think, at this point. And so to see her contract something that started innocent, right? She, oh, I have a little cough. I have a fever. You don't really know what's coming and this is the issue that really kind of seals like oh she's in trouble and 
I think in a lot of ways, though, I, I'm not as big of a fan as the Brandon Peterson art. But the last few pages are probably the, some of the strongest story pages of the book. Mm. For sure. For sure. And uh, just uh, as a kid, I was like, oh, I love the Brandon Peterson art because it looks so Jim Lee-esque. <laughs> right, <know>? right. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what I want in the X-Men. This is grimy rain on people like you know nonsense from jrjr it just doesn't look right brandon peterson stuff is like more my speed and then like you know reading it as an adult i'm like no you know uh, i have uh, i have like the complete like you know 180 uh opinion here right i know we've mentioned it already but um not jumping into that as much anymore i just love how extremely dramatic it fabian cortez is at all times that final, like the final bit with him with the game master, is just <laughs> so out of control that I love it. Right. Yeah. Someone screaming to the heavens. <laughs> well, it's funny how much sexier his ponytail is in Brandon Peterson than he is in JRJR. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> like, and then John Ramirez is like, oh, I haven't washed my hair in a few days. And then here he's like, super sexy ponytail. <laughs> Got a blowout. Right. <laughs> all right well, any other any other thoughts you guys want to hit uh, i don't um, think so at the I, moment no but i do have a question for you jason because sure. we clark and i gave our experience our our origin stories for wolverine what's your origin ah, story for wolverine sure um i'll i'll condense it a little bit um so my dad uh is a baptist pastor and was at the same has been at the same church for like almost 40 years now and oh, when wow. i was growing up there was a oh your balloon popped i'm sorry no, that's okay well i'm sorry did you pop emma's balloon yeah. we'll talk about it later um <laughs> so uh the dynamic of kind of those types of churches was a lot of times new people would come and they would want to make good impressions on the pastor and the family and so there was a guy who came um, he was visiting. He only came for about a year, if I remember. But he gave me and my best friend Cameron, who used to come on the show when we first started, um, a, just a giant box of comic books from his garage. And so at that point, I had read. I was reading GI Joe, but that's all because I was a huge GI Joe nerd. Um, had all the action figures. Was that was just my my jam. Um, but he gave us his box of comics and and as best friends in that time growing up did, uh, it couldn't just belong to one of us. It didn't matter who the box is given to. This box is our box of comics. And we literally like went rifled through. It was like, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. And like, like pick through. And so and we kind of put it in sets, right? If there were three X-Men, we made sure not one person got all of the same book, which is kind of unfortunate because we missed storylines. But, um, but one of the issues I got was uh, Uncanny 129. No, sorry, 139, 129. Well, now I can't remember. It's one where Kenny, like, officially becomes an X-Man, and they start an Alpha Flight Wendigo story um, by Claremont and Byrne. And um, I just remember being floored by the art. Um, I don't know if, if Wolverine was necessarily my favorite right away. I think actually probably in that issue, I really liked Angel and Kitty. Um, but then, you know, being a kid of the 90s, I also really jumped into the Punisher and was a big fan of Jim Lee's version of the Punisher on Punisher War Journal. So when 
I realized that he was also drawing X-Men pretty quick after that. That's when I really jumped into X-Men and um, very quickly came to love Wolverine because I was 12, 13 and he was badass, right? He had, he had the claws and the bad attitude and, and smoked some and you know, drank beer. Like, oh, okay, this is, these are all my rebellious notes right here mm-hmm. in one character. And so um, just really glommed onto him visually probably more than storytelling at that point. And then I just, as I read back and stuff, I really fell in love with the samurai mythology period of his and just kind of through my own, some of my own emotional issues as a, as a teen and, you know, the, the chemical stuff that goes on with, with people um, really identified with the idea that he had quote unquote, this beast nature but was trying to be an honor honorable samurai and kind of that inner conflict just really i identify with that a lot and then also i mean just x-men in general definitely helped shape my worldview and kind of pull me out of some things maybe i was or could have been sheltered from and really opened my eyes to kind of different perspectives and things and really kind of helped shape like where i went as a young adult and where I agreed and disagreed with upbringings and, you know, kind of all that fun stuff. So I was, I was incredibly sure you were going to say that the parishioner was so he wanted to like impress your father. So he just popped his bone claws. (laughs) That's a better story. And I will go with that next time. (laughs) I, I had a much more mundane uh, uh, idea when you like started talking about GI Joe because I liked GI Joe a lot too as a kid and like I had a lot of the comics. Larry Hama wrote GI Joe and then uh-huh. he was like the writer for Wolverine after Claremont left right. in the late eighties, early nineties. So I was like, oh, okay, you followed Larry Hama around, but uh, it actually but took me a while to-, to connect those dots. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really into the solo series um, as much um, growing up. I kind of grabbed one every now and then, but. Um, I think yeah. it was a little, I love it now, especially the hammer stuff, but it was a little weirder and a little harder to get into at t- age 12, at least for me. Um, yeah. Now I look back and I'm like, man, I left all that Sylvestri on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what was so, that? Such good heart. Oh my God. I love Mark. Yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. His, his pre TNA days are pretty fantastic. Oh yes. Before he started doing top cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, sometime in the next year, Hama's going to be back for X-Men um, Legends and probably doing Wolverine for one of his, you know, missing issue situations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of waiting to that. see if he cameos in the Iron Fist book he's doing right now. That's true. I'm oh, not yeah. in love with it. When you say Clark, I missed that last part. I'm not. I, I gave up after issue. Oh. One. It's okay. <laughs> Nothing to, to write home about necessarily. All right. Awesome. Well, um, I think we've had a pretty lively discussion. Um, what we do here on the podcast and Ghost Nick is we rate things on a six claw rating and you can explain that however you want. You can divide it between the art and the story or just do one big thing. But um, Clark, do you have a, a rating you'd like to give Uncanny X-Men 300? Um, it hit me more than I thought it, remember it would, but I'll give it like a um, three Wolverine hand claws and then I'll give it a, you know, two female wolverine claws <laughs> okay in the foot region what about you Kaylin? uh i'll give it uh four out of six uh bone claws not the adamantium 
Okay. But like, uh, you know, post fatal attractions, like Wolverine bone claws. Um, so like the similar to Clark, they brought back a lot of good memories of reading X-Men at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, um, as we've talked about, like there was a lot, a lot of problematic stuff happening, but like, um, I like the team, uh, uh, the uh, acolytes are like really good villains, especially Fabian Cortez, and the art, uh, like thirty almost thirty years later, like holds up so so well. Uh, and like the X Men, thankfully, have been blessed with like amazing artists. You know, all the way right. from like like even like you know pre all new all different when like uh, Neil Adams drew them, and then like you know John Byrne that you mentioned. Like mm-hmm. John Byrne's a terrible human being, but was, yeah. was a very good artist. Yeah. Was a very good artist. Uh, <laughs> But and Jim Lee, Jim Lee was you know freaking phenomenal. So, I mean, who thought having the blue and gold team in one issue would be interesting? <laughs> Solid gold. <laughs> I think I probably fell a little deeper into the nostalgia trap than you guys. Um, I'm going to give this five out of six claws. No, well, that was not mine. Okay. I said five out of six. Oh, I true. Yeah, yeah, I'm just together. Two yeah. Wolverines together. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm then. I'm the. I'm the one who's like bringing the average down. There. Sorry, y'all. That's all right. <laughs> I wasn't clear, and that's what I do. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, one, let's uh, let's round back around. Why don't you give everyone uh, the details on Homo Superior, where they can find you, stuff like that. Sure. Well, thank you again for having us. It's been a lot of fun and uh, we'll have to have you back on Homo Superior because yeah. uh, you, were, you were an awesome guest. Uh, but you can listen to Homo Superior wherever you can listen to podcasts. We're on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We're also pretty active on social media uh, along with uh, Jason here. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Homo Superior X, and on Instagram, Homo Superior Podcast. And we usually post very dumb things. So <laughs> please, please, please interact with us and uh, check us out. Uh, and, you know, if you don't like us in the first two minutes, you probably have very good taste. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as of April 1st, our plan is to, um, right, we're going to start a website, homosuperiorpodcast.com. Nice. I don't know whether this issue will be coming out before or after that, but I don't either. <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> Watch it. We'll actually have everything put together. And it's me, so maybe we won't. <laughs> And I almost want to call this like an honorary uh, like uh, issue of Class X. That's something new that we started recently uh, where we go into back issues uh, uh, of, of X-Men and other comics why, and why they're relevant today. So our most recent one we did, um, our, actually our first one, I should say, and the most recent one is uh, Children of the Vault, which we know nice. they made their, their uh, return uh, in, in the current X-Men book, along with Laura, uh, and who I call the real Wolverine or my Wolverine. Right. Yeah, so, that's fair. Um, I love Laura. <laughs> so, um, so check that out too. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm perpetually a few episodes behind, but I look forward to hearing that, especially with the most recent issue. Well, yeah, we've got, we've got U.S. agent coming up soon because the um, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be coming out. Ah, okay. And then I love Empath because he's terrible, but interesting. So we're going to be doing that one. Nice. And we'll see what else. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, as always, guys, for the podcast that goes Nick, you can uh, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Um, like I said, uh, Snowmageddon's kind of thrown me off a little bit, so I'm not sure when this will come out. So I'm not sure what'll be next, but it'll be fun. Um, so again, uh, Homo Superior guys, thank you so much for coming on, Caitlin Clark. Um, had a lot of fun. Um, 
So everyone, uh, please stay well and stay safe out there. Uh, if you live in Texas, why don't you go ahead and keep wearing your mask anyway? Um, I will. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, everyone else, uh, hugs and snicks. Until next time. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye.